uh, prepare to be thoroughly disappointed with what I offer after that. Don't mess up your Holy cow. Golly. It's like teeing up a golf ball and then giving me a putter and asking me to hit it 300 yards. All right. Um, hey, good morning, everyone. So glad to be here. Love you guys so much. Um, if you forgive me, I'm not going to have like a, a song or funny intro because what we're talking about today is like so dense. It's big. Um, so we're just going to have to dive right into it. And Molly, I apologize in advance. There's a possibility this goes on a while and you're going to have to apologize to all your teachers back there. Okay. Please forgive me. All right. Um, So today we're going to be looking at the theology and practice of the kingdom of God. And and like I said, it's such a big topic. We could spend the next 100 years plus talking about this topic. And I can guarantee you at the end, we're still not going to fully get it. We're not going to fully understand it. And all the conversations that will be started from this topic are not going to end. All right. Um, This is such a huge topic Endless conversation opportunities. And it's also the first value that we're talking about in this series. Right last week, Scott touched on the history of the vineyard. And now we're into the values part of the vineyard. And this is the first value we're going to talk about because this is the most important value, I think. And it's the most important value because this is the value that informs all of the other values. Okay? It's kind of like this. When I was like eight or nine years old, all right, And still, as a 29-year-old, I ate a lot of cereal. Like, cereal is my go-to when I'm hungry and Kate and Lucy are gone for the weekend. I will have cereal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay? Not healthy. I don't care. All right? And when I was eight or nine, my favorite cereal was Fruity Pebbles. Because, come on, who doesn't love Fruity Pebbles? And uh, I remember um, Post, which I, I think Fruity Pebbles was like a Post company, right? They were having this thing where if you saved enough of the box tops... Okay? You can mail them in, and you would get this secret code toy. All right, And I was so excited about this. So for months and months, I ate Fruity Pebbles. I saved all the box tops. I mailed them in. And now, here's the thing when you're a kid. For some reason, this is like the only part of the world where it takes 10 to 12 weeks to process things. Right? Have you ever mailed in something from a cereal box? It's like three months later before you get it back, which to a kid is... Pretty much, I'm going to be dead by then, right? It's forever. But I waited, and I waited, and I saw the package come. And there it was, this secret code toy. It was really cool, right? You opened it up. It was this pad and this pen that I think wrote in, like, invisible ink. But the key to everything, right, was the secret code breaker, they called it, okay? Which is just a fancy term for a piece of red and blue plastic film in a cardboard box that you would stick over the pad, and boom, you could read the secret code. And, and, and that's like the value we're talking about today. None of the other venue values make sense unless they're seen through the lens of the kingdom of God. And the reason that this is so important, the reason that that's the case, is because the kingdom of God... Listen to me, this is really important. The kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus. It's the good news. It literally is the gospel. It's the point of who Jesus was and why he did what he did and why his spirit is still doing stuff today. Okay? So we're going to have a few verses we're going to look at. We're going to be all over the Bible today. Okay? Sorry about that. But you don't have to flip through and we'll have them on the screen. We're going to start... In Matthew 4, 17. And the context for this is that Jesus, 
right? Had just spent about 30 years or so um, being in part of a family, right? He was a carpenter. This is his first step out into public ministry. And this is the first thing he teaches. Change your hearts and your minds, or in other translations, repent. The kingdom of God is here. You see, family, I don't think that the world really understands the message of Jesus, right? They don't really understand the good news. Um, I think many people, including lots of us inside the church, tend to think that the main message of Jesus is behavior change, right? Get your act right or the wrath of God is coming on you and it's not going to be pretty. But I actually think in, in like today's postmodern times, the main, if you ask like the general public, hey, what, what was Jesus all about? They probably say, love one another. That would probably say, that, that would, would be the main message of Jesus to the general public. And of course, that's a super important teaching of Jesus, right? If, if we don't have love, then the actual main message doesn't have any power or impact. But as one scholar puts it, if Jesus' main message was simply to love others, he certainly would not have been executed as an enemy of the Roman Empire. Right? None of the Romans, the Jewish elites, they would not have been bothered a single lick if there was just some poor Jewish prophet running around telling everyone to love each other more. It wouldn't have even blipped on their radar. Family, the main message of Jesus, the one that got him on the hit list of the state was that the kingdom of God has arrived and it's doing battle with the kingdom on earth. Or like we just read it, the kingdom of heaven, as as in some translations, is here. Those are the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. One is just a more like Jewishy way to say it. But they're the same thing, all right? What Jesus is primarily teaching is this. Repent or literally change your minds. Change how you think about this. Change the direction your life is going. Change your hearts. That's what repent means. Okay, and come over here to where I am. So you're facing that way. Turn and face this way and come over here because where I am is where the kingdom of God is. And in this reality, in this direction over here, there's a different type of life. And it's way more fulfilling. It gives us actual purpose. It gives us actual meaning. It gives us passion and it gives us truth. Right? That's the core message of Jesus. The kingdom is here. Come be a part of it. It's the best way to live. So this morning, let's take our value. And our value is the theology and practice of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to go part by part. Okay? And we're going to cover a lot of stuff. So just hang in there with me. Okay? Be real active listeners with me. Um, I'm going to first give you a basic summary of the theology of the kingdom of God. And then we're going to finish up with applying that theology, which is called practicing the kingdom of God. Right? So we got the theology, and then we got the application. That's kind of how we're going to do it this morning. So diving right in. What is the theology of the kingdom of God? Okay? So theology, right? That's a word that a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not in seminary. That's... It's a little intimidating, right? To break it down in its most simple form, theology. Theo just means God, okay? And logi comes from the Greek root word logos, which means words. So literally, theology is just words about God or thoughts about God. That's all theology is. So really, we're all theologians, every single one of us, because we all have thoughts and words about God. So as a vineyard church, as part of the vineyard movement... What are our thoughts about God? And what does his kingdom have to do with any of this? So, in the best way I can, and you're going to see that um, 
there's really no great way to define this, but this is the best I can do. Um, this is kind of the basic summary of, of, of what the kingdom of God theology is. It's this. The kingdom of God is Yahweh's perfect sovereign rule breaking in over all of creation. Okay, let me say that one more time because that's, that's dense. There's a lot of stuff in that. The kingdom of God is Yahweh. Okay, and when I say Yahweh, that's the name that God gives us in Exodus. He says, I am Yahweh. That's his name, right? So the kingdom of God is Yahweh's perfect sovereign rule or it's his kingship, it's his government, okay, breaking in over all of creation, right? It's not just the church. It's not just America. We're not the kingdom of God. It's all of creation is where it's breaking in. And this idea of the kingdom of God, right, this theology, it's actually the great unifying theme in all of Scripture, in all of history. In all of history, there's kind of this overarching meta-theme in everything, and it's the kingdom of God. We're going to see from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, everything, everything hinges on the idea that God's desire is to establish his home, establish his home here amongst his creation on the earth. We're not talking about like somewhere else, right? Heaven, earth, we're going to leave here. It's all going to burn up. We're going to be, no, God is establishing his dwelling place here, right here. That's the great unifying theme in all of Scripture. All right, so let's buckle up for the ride. Let's fly through some Scripture real fast. Let's start at the beginning of history, Genesis chapter 1. Okay, you don't have to flip there. It's real easy, right? Very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, right? We read in Genesis 1 and then going on through Genesis 2 that God isn't creating stuff just for, like, kicks and giggles. Right? God's was just like, oh, bing, bing. You know, it's not like Emerald Lagasse, like, bam, kick it up another notch, bam, right? God's not doing it just, like, to see what happens, okay? We actually see, as we read the first two chapters of Genesis, that God is creating a home. He's creating a dwelling place for Father, Son, and Spirit. And the climax of all this creation, the climax is that God forms these unique, like, Little physical images of himself. Right? We call that mankind. Or in Hebrew, Adam. It's where we get the word Adam. Adam literally means mankind. Okay? So God creates this incredible reality, this existence, where heaven and earth, they exist together in harmony as one, and he dwells amongst his creation, and he's the king of it all. And everything is in shalom. It's in perfect peace. And then we move on and we see in Genesis 2 that God actually gives Adam, he gives humanity, right, this, like, job to do in creation. He says, okay, here's the deal. I took all this empty void and this chaos and I ordered it into beautiful creation. So Adam and Eve, I want you to do the same thing. In the way that I rule over creation, I'm asking you to rule over the earth. And at this time, remember, God just created all, everything in nature. So it's this beautiful, like, unfiltered, like, just bundle of potential. Think of, like, wild jungles and forests and all these natural resources. I mean, the earth is full of potential. And God says, I want you to rule over it and to subdue it and harness all this potential and create it into something beautiful, just like I ordered the chaos into creation. 
And I want you, when, as you do this, I want you to reflect my glory and my goodness to all of the earth. Okay? So, God gives mankind a job to rule and subdue the earth, but in a way that reflects the loving rule of himself over creation. Okay? You can read about this in Genesis 2. So, you kind of see this hierarchy going on, right? Man is supposed to rule over the earth, but man is under the rule of God, and God gives man some specific chores to do to do the ruling of the earth better, right? God says, okay, first, you've got to be fruitful and multiply, right? I want you to spread across all parts of the earth, right? Now, I want you to subdue and harness all of this potential I've created. I want you to name the animals, right? I want you to become gardeners and farmers and start creating, like, crops and producing fruits, right? He tells them... I, Okay, this is me maybe reading into it a little bit, but I, I, I think it's true. I think it's beautiful. I think what God is doing when he tells man to kind of do this stuff is he's saying, hey, I want you to become culture makers. I want you to make cities, and I want you to make art galleries, and I want you to become musicians, and I want you to be teachers. And here's all of this potential that I'm the king over. Now, I've created you to do something with it, order it into beauty in the same way that I ordered the nothingness into beauty. So we're given jobs, we're given mandates to be co-creators and to be procreators, right? We're to spread across the lands, rule over it well, and we are meant to reflect the goodness and glory of God in every corner of the earth. So that's the kingdom of God as we first see it in history, right? Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It's a kingdom that's all about life when you think about it. What's the basic kingdom at this point? It's all about life. It's all about life to the full. It's all about life that gives us purpose and, and mission as co-creators and culture makers. Okay, so we're good. Things, things are going really well so far, right? Now let's fly through history, okay? And let's look at Revelation 21, okay? So we start at the beginning. Let's zoom ahead to the end. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth... For the former heaven and the former earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind, with Adam. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. And then we're going to skip ahead a little bit to chapter 22. We're still talking about um, the kingdom of God as it's going to happen. Never again will anything be cursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb is at the center. His servants will offer God service, worshiping. They'll look on his face, their foreheads mirroring God. They literally will be reflecting God's glory. Never again will there be any night. No one will need lamplight or sunlight. The shining of God, the master, is all the light anyone needs. And they, that they is referring to all the humans, will rule with him, with God. They will rule, they'll be co-rulers with God, age after age after so forever. Family, we begin history with humanity in a garden, and they're flourishing under the kingship of God. And then history ends, as we see in John's revelation, with humanity, this time in a city. 
And once again, creation is flourishing under the kingship of God. But this time it lasts forever. Man, if that was the story that we were living in, our Bible would be like that thick and everything would be just peachy, right? But we all know that everything in the middle is where stuff got complicated, right? The middle is what happens when man rebels against the rule of God. We call that rebellion sin. So you can see how if sin never entered then what we see in Revelation 22 is just like the natural end product of Genesis 1, right? So God creates this garden. He creates all this earthy potential. He puts humanity on it. He says, hey, reflect my goodness and glory and lovingly rule and subdue all this potential and create beautiful stuff out of it. Create cities and create culture and music and good food and entertainment. And and then when it's all kind of finished, there we are in this city living forever with God dwelling with us. Right? That's like the natural end product of Genesis 1. And that's what God still desires. Right? That's what God is still restoring into fruition currently. But as we know, rebellion entered the picture. Right? You see, as the image of God, right, God created Adam and he gave us this very God-like characteristic. It sets us apart. Right? He gave us the freedom to choose. And we chose to rebel against the kingdom. We chose to rebel against the rule of God. And when we chose that rebellion and sin entered the world, right? what happened is we let the kingdom of darkness start to take hold in parts of God's creation. And what we did as humanity is we actually created an entirely different reality that exists. We now live in a different existence. We traded in our eternal lives of purpose for cursed lives meant to die, right? And you can see, right, in this rebellious kingdom, right, in all the middle section, right, we find sickness, we find poverty, we find racism and oppression, right? You can look at Charlottesville, Virginia and see that currently happening right now, right? We find addiction and we find um, personal struggle, right? We find anxiety. Really, we find death. That's, that's the end product of the kingdom of darkness and the empires of man that we chose over God's rule. Yet, family, it's still God's desire, still God's desire to live with us and for his presence to be with us as he rules and reigns over us in love and grace and in mercy. So, God's kingdom is established on the earth in Genesis. It doesn't take very long for sin to enter the picture. A spiral into darkness happens And what happens? God easily could have said, gave you your shot. You said, no, I'm done with you. I'm going to go do something else. But no. Instead, God says, all right, I'm going to restore this. With my plan, I'm going to restore this. Okay? So he makes a covenant with a man and his family. Right? And then from that family, it extends to a whole nation. Right? A whole covenant people of God. And, And then what we get is like all of the pages of the Old Testament. Right? Which really, if you look at the Old Testament, it's just the same story on repeat. It's like you have a broken iPod, okay? Does anyone still have iPods anymore? It's like a broken one. There's only one song on shuffle. It's just the same story, right? Israel chooses, okay, we want, we want God's rule. We want his dwelling, so we're going to follow you. And then they rebel. And then it sends them into a spiral of darkness. And then God shows up in his mercy and says, okay, let's do it again. And Israel says, okay, this time we're going to do it. And then they rebel. And they fall into a spiral of darkness. And eventually what happens 
is God's covenant people end up in exile, right? And they end up as slaves of all these other empires for a long time. Once again, it seems like the spiral of man's rebellion has brought the world to the point of no return. But then, just as things kind of seem darkest in history, right? Jesus shows up. This guy named Jesus shows up and we read. He comes out in public and he says, hey, here's the deal. Repent. Change your minds. Because guess what? The kingdom of God is here. It's here. It's back. It is here. It has arrived. And Jesus begins saying stuff and teaching stuff and he's doing stuff and demonstrating stuff. And he's basically, Jesus is giving people that are slaves to the kingdoms of this world. He's giving them an opportunity to step out of that reality and step into the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus comes, and he shows himself to be the king that our souls desperately want, that they desperately need, that our souls were actually created for, right? And what Jesus does is he reaches into the future. Jesus, in first century Palestine, reaches into the future like he can because he's God. And he pulls that future and he plops it down in first century Palestine. Jesus breaks the laws of physics, breaks the laws of time. He breaks the laws of death and sickness, right? He raises people from the dead, heals them, right? Makes blind people see. He casts out demons, right? Jesus confronts these systems of oppression and injustice. And then at the end of his time on earth, right? Jesus does what? He finally breaks the curse that we put on ourselves when we chose rebellion, right? With his death and with his resurrection, the curse is broken. You see, family, God loves his creation so much. He loves his Imago Dei, his little Adam that he put everywhere. That he himself shows up on the earth to let us know that the future is breaking into the now. That kingdom that he so desires, it's going to happen. But we don't have to wait anymore. It's available in the now. And all of us as God's people go, amen, awesome, yay. All of creation can live with harmony with God again. Except we look around, I step outside and it's 180 degrees, which I'm pretty sure is a result of the fall. I know it's a result of the fall. And, um, and we're like, okay, good story, but obviously there, there's something, there, there's, a, there's misconnections going on. Why isn't everything right again? But Jesus showed up. He said, the kingdom is here. What's going on? And, and this is where we're going to get a little, a little intense. So just hang with me, okay? This is the great mystery of the kingdom of God. Okay, it's called the already here and the not yet. Okay? The kingdom of God is already here and not yet here. Okay? It really is a paradox. But it's a beautiful tension that we get to live in. You see, Jesus' life, his ministry, his resurrection, it changed the universe forever, right? Because of Jesus, the kingdom of God is already here, right? It's arrived on the earth, but it didn't come in one fail swoop like everyone wanted. It wasn't this big battle, boom, all the other kingdoms are gone, and on the earth, God's reign rules over all things, right? Instead, Jesus describes his kingdom coming like a mustard seed, 
right? It's really, really small. Mustard seeds are tiny, and it's planted into the ground, and it takes time, but eventually it grows, and it sprouts to be a ginormous bush that gives shade and gives life, right? That's how Jesus describes this kingdom, right? One day it's going to be fully grown, and it's going to give life to all of creation. But in the meantime, it slowly germinates, right? It spreads its roots underground, where it's often unnoticed to the naked eye. That's what we mean by the not yet part of the kingdom. The seed was planted. It's already here. But it's not in fruition yet. It's not yet. Family, we are living in the age where the kingdom is growing. It is. But it's slow. It's slowly. It's surely. It's definitely often unnoticed. It's not yet here in fulfillment. So you see, through Jesus, we've been given an installment of the kingdom of God, but not the full thing yet. We've seen a taste And we ourselves can experience tastes of the kingdom, but the full feast is yet to come, right? This is called the already here and the not yet. And this leads us then into practicing the kingdom of God. Because if we believe in this theology, if we believe in the already here and the not yet, then we have an entire life of practice that we get to engage in. During his time on earth, right, Jesus gives his followers, he gives humanity a mandate, right? Kind of echoes, God gave a mandate to Adam in the garden. Jesus gives a mandate to his followers when he's on earth. And he says this in Matthew. He's talking to his disciples. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously So live generously. So remember, in the garden, God creates and he rules. He brings order from potential and he rules over it. And then says, okay, man, go do the same thing, but do it as a reflection of my glory and goodness. And then Jesus echoes that. He says, okay, I've come. Here's the kingdom of God. I'm healing people. I'm casting out demons. Now you all go do the same thing and reflect my glory and goodness. Right? It's the same kind of mandate. And as followers of Jesus who understand that God desires nothing more than to establish his kingdom, establish his rule on this very earth, right? We then get to take this mandate from God and we get to go live that future in the now. Okay? The Holy Spirit, God's very spirit, empowers us as his people to be people of the future. That's our, that's our identity now. That's why we're kind of aliens in this present age. We're not aliens because heaven's somewhere else. We're aliens because we're people of the future who live in the now. That's why we're aliens. That's why there's this tension inside of us of like, oh, I can't believe that's happening. That's not right. Oh, I can't believe I'm still struggling with the flesh. Because we see what's going to come. We see the end product. And God's asking us to take part of it in the now. We are people of the future. So family, what is that future reality of the kingdom of God? This is where we begin to practice the kingdom. What is that future reality? What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, there's a million answers for that. But we can see through Jesus' teachings, we can see most of the time through his parables. He has lots of parables about the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And then we can see the end product. We can read Revelation 21 and 22 and see what the end product looks like. So whatever that is, whatever those things are, 
Jesus is asking us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's empowering us to be reflections of the King and to go do that kingdom stuff of the future in the present. For example, family, in God's kingdom, the political and economic and social systems of racism and oppression and injustice, they're gone. They're, they're, they're gone forever. They don't exist anymore. So what can we do now to partner with the Holy Spirit to bring that future into the present? In family, in God's kingdom, there's not any more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more disease. There's no more addiction. So what can we do now by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in that future? Sorry, to live that future in the now. Family in God's kingdom, the earth and the environment and all of creation is restored. And it's made new and beautiful in the same way that our personal lives, our souls are made new when we turn to Jesus. So what can we do now by the power of the Spirit? to live that future reality in the present. Family, in God's kingdom, we see that every person on the earth knows that Jesus is the one who saves, that he's the only one worthy of honor and glory and power. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the true giver of life. We know that's the future. So how, by the power of the Spirit, can we bring that and live that in the now? Family in God's kingdom, we see that the poor are exalted. Hatred is replaced by love and grace, right? War is gone. Peace is the law of the land. How can we enter these battles against the kingdom of darkness and against the kingdoms of man? And through love and sacrifice, confront those with the kingdom of God. All of this is just to say, family, the opportunities to practice the kingdom of God are endless, Everything you do is an opportunity to practice the kingdom of God. Because wherever there is something anywhere in creation that's not quite kingdom yet, that's an opportunity to practice the kingdom of God right there. There is an opportunity for us to ask God, Holy Spirit, empower us. How can I partner with you? Because I know I've seen the future. I live in that future. I know that you're restoring everything. You're making everything new. You're bringing everything back under your rule. And there's going to be perfect harmony with us, with you, with creation. I know that's the future. I know that's the future. How can I partner with you as you're restoring all of this into that future? All right. Now, here is a little side note. Okay? Um, and it goes back to our idea that the kingdom of God is already here, but not yet. Okay? What that means is that practicing the kingdom, right, the opportunities are limitless, but it's often really frustrating. It's often really frustrating. And that's because we live in this tension of the here and the not yet. Right? With this tension that we have, the already here and the not yet, sometimes we are going to pray for people to be healed. And they're not going to be healed. Sometimes they're going to be healed, and then they're going to succumb to the same disease and sickness, and they're going to die. Family, there may be times when we confront systems of evil and empires of man. And we lose that battle, and we see that that empire, that kingdom of darkness, seems to grow. 
Family, there's going to be times that in our personal lives, right, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, right, we are people of that future. The kingdom of God is influencing us. But still, because of this tension, we're going to choose seasons of rebellion. We're going to still succumb to addiction. We're still going to struggle against our flesh, even though our spirit is made new. You see, God hasn't completed his great restoration project quite yet. Right? It began with Jesus, and it's going to end with Jesus. But we're in kind of the awkward teen years. Right? We're in this middle ground, and it's hard. And it's frustrating, but it's important. Family, I don't want you to lose sight of the future that we know we have. The blessed assurance of God's kingdom being reality. Keep that in your sights. And with that, you can know that there's no greater joy than knowing that God's kingdom reality has begun. It's continuing to come more and more. And God has given us, he's given you and me, every single one of us, a specific mission and purpose in our lives. He's commissioned us to practice this kingdom right here, right now, to everyone, everywhere, in all corners of the earth. Right? God is pulling creation to the future. And it's a wild ride, and he wants us to be a part of it. And for that, I'm just like, whoa. That's incredible. There's no better way to live than to be a part of the present being pulled into the future by the power of God. So let's end this morning by practicing the kingdom a little bit. Okay? I, we're just going to do this in a really natural way. Right? This isn't going to be some like magical thing. We're just going to try to do kind of the things that Jesus did. So I'm going to ask Scott to come up, and he's going to kind of direct us into some parts of the room where maybe you need prayer, or you need healing, or you need the kingdom of God to come more in your life. There's struggles that you're dealing with. You're still, you're still seeing these kingdoms of darkness. You're still uh, rebelling in parts of your life, and you want the kingdom of God to be made a reality. Or maybe you are going to be called by the Holy Spirit soon to minister to other people. For everyone that's up here that needs prayer, we want two or three of y'all to come to lay hands on them, to pray for them, right? This practice of the kingdom isn't just reserved for, like, pastors or missionaries or this is, like, this is what we all get to do. This is the people of God living the future in the now. All right, so let's try it.